This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. What happens when regular people work together to create massive, meaningful change on a global scale? Welcome to the Carbon Almanac Collective, a podcast where the volunteers who created the Carbon Almanac share the insights and aha moments they had while collaborating on this landmark project to help fight the climate crisis. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and it's not too late to join in on the conversation. Hi, my name is Louise. I'm a recovering Canadian living in Australia. I am the head of talent and I'm called the head of talent because it's H-O-T hot and we're trying to help things not get too hot. Hi, I'm Eva Ford and I am nomadic at the moment. Currently, I'm in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. I met Seth actually that kind of got me on this project in New York and my role on the Almanac has been assisting with community culture and kind of bringing people together. I am Diane Osgood, and I was a contributing editor for the chapter on Whose Role Is It? and drafted a couple of other posts as well. And I, I live either in the US or France, sometimes somewhere in between. And let's start here, actually. Can you tell me? What made you decide to join the Carbon Almanac Project? Yeah, I don't say no to Louise. I joined because I don't say no to Louise, and she asked. And it's really important work. Louise likes the story that I tell about how I met Seth. <laughs> On the streets of New York, I had missed an appointment, but I, it was an appointment with destiny. And I saw Seth. He's been a, a, a huge role model um, for me and my business. And I was so starstruck, I forgot his name and just totally fangirled out. And he was so gracious and generous and uh, asked me if I would reach out to him because he wanted to send me something. But before I could do that on the same day, so like in the span of about two or three hours, he had emailed me and ended up sending me some books and reiterating, hey, let me know if I can help you with anything. And that was a really overwhelming offer. And I just, I, I had nothing. Who, what can I ask of Seth Godin? But about a month went by and I decided to reach back out and ask him if there was any way I could just be in his world. And he said, actually, there's this project I'm working on. And I was like, you know, cause I'm a trained social worker. I'm like, I probably should know about this stuff because we care about a lot of things, but I don't. I suppose I impressed him with my outrageousness when I met him. So he said, no, 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 no. That's not why I need you. I just need you <laughs> to kind of help connect people and make sure that they're engaged because people tend to get lost on the platform and in the project. And so I said, oh, listen, that's me. That's my name. So that's how I got involved. And I'm so glad <laughs> that I did. I was just going to say there are such talented women on this podcast today. And for any person who's listening, there is a little bit of serendestiny going on here. I'm involved in this project, and I think this might be the most important project of my life. So I'm going to answer that question in three levels. 
I'm going to start with um, a little metaphor of a tree. So just bear with me for a second, because I'm going to go big picture, and then I'm going to go like smaller. So tree, the canopy, the leaves. I'm the kind of gal that has a bucket list. I don't ever look at it, but I write it. And Seth Godin was on my list of people I wanted to meet one day. I read his books for years. I did meet him. I did his Ulta MBA. I did the marketing seminar. I ended up coaching in almost every Akimbo course. So I got to work with, like, I get to say that sentence, right? I get to work with and for Seth Godin. And if you want to learn, anybody who's listening, if you want to learn, there's always one, two, or three top people in any field. Get close to your hero and you will understand why they fly so high. You can, you can draft behind them and learn so much. So I sent a little email to Seth saying, it was a little jokey email, and he wrote back and told me about this project, and you wanna, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. So I'm here because Seth is the impresario who we have trusted and learned from for years. And I see that has been described, he's gracious and he's generous and he's all these traits that we need more of in the world. So that's the contact, the leaves, the canopy. And then the trunk. Okay, the trunk. So if you look out your window, wherever you are right now, so if I look out my window in Australia, the sky is a light morning gray because it's early in the morning here. And Diane is in France and if she looks out her window, Dan, what do you see when you look out your window? A couple of years ago, when I went outside, I couldn't see the end of my two-block street. The sky was burnt orange. So NBC News said Australia fires were declared the worst wildlife disaster in history, in modern history. So three billion, three billion animals died. Now it was the hottest, driest year we've ever had. We had 22 countries come to help fight the fires. Nine firefighters died, four from the US. So you can argue whatever you want, but wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening, you've probably seen news about fires, floods, some sort of environmental, what the Oh, we're not supposed to have like, this is a once in a lifetime flood. Yeah, well, that's the third time Brisbane's been underwater. So uh, what's going on here? So the trunk, the strength, the truth about why I'm involved in this project is because I don't want to be a witness. I don't want to experience bystander apathy. I feel better in my soul when I can take action. That's the truth about that. Now let's go to the root culture. Yesterday, I woke up after this dream and I was on the front of my, at the front of the house and I was low down on the ground and I was passing a yellow flower to a child. There were parents and children around me. The color of the flower was the same color as the yellow on the cover of the almanac. And I went, oh, I'm passing a plant. I'm passing the planet from one generation to the next. So culturally, this project is important because I want to be the kind of elder that's an ancestor worthy <laughs> of, of the next generations, the next seven generations to come. And that's another story there. This project that I've been part of from almost day one is vitally important. And vitally important people who do vitally important work have also said yes to being part of this. Absolutely. And the wildfires piece and having that actual connection to the climate crisis like that. In a previous episode, we spoke to 
two guests, one who was in Colorado and the wildfires came up on their home and then someone else who was in British Columbia with the floods that we've had recently. And all of that is really surprising, but I'm wondering if there is anything that has happened in your experience here just in the last couple of months, either that you learned through conversations that we've had here or through the actual content of the book that was surprising. Has anything surprised you lately when it comes to the climate emergency? I'll just say that there's so much that I'm still learning. So I have not read the almanac. I mean, I don't know that any of us have gone through it cover cover, except for a few people. But every time I get a chance to read a snippet, I have to digest it in small bites, right? So every time I read a snippet, it's like, wow, awareness. I'm not at the level yet where I can rattle it off. Like, did you know that this statistic and this statistic exists in this context? I'm not there yet. But every time I read a piece and I I see the beautiful illustrations and I, I, you know, within the context of what's being presented, I'm just blown away. And just like Louise said, just more conscious, definitely feel more reverent. I'm, I am a faith-based person, I would say. So I've grown up with this belief in a higher power and that the earth was created and that we are stewards. And so the facts in the almanac coupled with the demonstration of humanity coming together to put these facts together to present has been a spiritual experience for me. The whole experience has been incredibly surprising for me. So I've been working on climate and biodiversity loss since the early 90s. And I joined because the topics are incredibly important. And as a someone who's more comfortable speaking in what would be termed technical jargon than as something that most people can understand, I realized I had a huge handicap at expressing myself in a way. And at you know, this point 30 years on, it's really clear that the information needs to be provided in fact-based language that's really easy and fun and personable to read. And I think that's the incredible beauty of this. And I love how Ava talks about it. It's very personal. The process of developing it has been just so much synchronicity and so much like meaningful connection that I can understand how someone would definitely experience having a spiritual aspect to it. And indeed, um, I think a lot of people who work in this field do have that connection. And it's a often unspoken part of the efforts made towards stewarding the world, stewarding the planet in a more sustainable and healthy and resilient way. Beautifully said. Louise, have you learned anything that's surprising? Well, let me just say that that's Dr. Diana speaking. So this is her, your, Diane, your passion, your purpose. You are living your legacy and your work on the section you worked on. Yes, to everything you said about making the information accessible and digestible 
and that it is deeply spiritual. So thank you, Diane, for saying yes to, to the project. But I also want to take a highlighter and go, like, there are some very special people part of this project. Everyone on this call, everyone on all the podcasts, we're all really special. Each person has brought their particular gifts. And Mother Teresa said, she said something like this, oh gosh, we can't do everything, but if every one of us does a little something, it's going to get better. So Diane, thank you. I wanted to, to let people know that your expertise developed over most of your life is in this book. and that's going to make change happen. Mm, thank you. The section that I edited was whose role, and we explain the role, and in, in, in there's little sections. You can read the role of government and read, like, what are these intergovernmental organizations, these panel of scientists that get together. You can, the almanac will give you that background in a way that you're not going to feel overwhelmed, like literally by an acronym soup, which I, know, I can just rattle off like the ABCs because I'm so familiar with them. But that doesn't, that's not helpful. And then it talks about the role of business in which corporations, which corporations have the highest emission rates and which have the highest waste rates and just the facts, no opinions about it, but here are the facts. And then there's the role of the individual. And that to me is the, the golden nugget, the DNA and the, and the essence of the almanac is it was put together by individuals. It wasn't put together by a nonprofit or an organization. A bunch of individuals came together to write it in the spirit of that. And I think its DNA then is purely expressed because it enables the individual, the person, you, the reader, to take the information and use it as you will. And then I know there's all these other ancillary opportunities that the Carmen Albanac Network is putting together, but it fundamentally is about you, the reader, what you will take away and what you can choose to do or choose to know about. This community has really moved forward because of Louise, all that you've done Eva, all the things that you've done, both of you. But I would like to talk about the community piece because I find that this is a really interesting, almost social experiment, writing this book in this community. You have to be invited, but it's still fairly open. And there's been some unique challenges. And I'm just wondering, what were your learnings from this experience? Because it's so fascinating. People have the power. <laughs> People have the power. Okay, thank you, Patty Smith. Um, <laughs> so what I've learned about community. So Stanford researcher Philip Zimbardo did that Stanford experiment where he put students in a prison and all of a sudden the students who were usually kind and sweet started acting like jerks and they had to pull the experiment because of the abuse that happened because of the power dynamics. And he talks about like how do we structure kindness? How do we structure empathy? How do we encourage the traits and the values that we want to have? How do we create the communities that we want to have? So big picture, when September 11th happened, and I saw people falling from buildings, and I saw so much hatred and violence, I realized, oh, right, there's a yin and yang here. There's people in the world who are hell-bent on destruction, and there's people who are here to add love, who are living a faith-based life. So there's light and darkness. There's terrorism, and then there's fairy godmothers. 
there's cheerleaders, there's social workers, there's scientists, there's all these people. So I chose in that moment, I am going to make sure that I am the person who's bringing light to the world. I am going to be the antidote to hate. And so that, that moment, standing at ground zero, just after the attacks happened, because I was in New York for a skating training event, you know, these things change you at a cellular level. They burn in you a deeper purpose. They amplify the goodness that is already in you. And so this project, if you look at Seth, he's the impresario. He was a camp counselor at Camp Erewhon in Algonquin Park. So his love of those beautiful tall pine trees, the wolves that you hear howling in August with their pups yipping because they're in their dens, the shooting stars that he would have seen, all the kids that he taught how to solo paddle. In him is a love of our world. And he's been caring about and writing about this topic for a while. So here's this guy who has this love of our world, who understands leadership teaching, education, community building, and he is the impresario who calls us all together. And look at what one person can do with a dedication. So what's not surprised me, because the environmental disasters haven't surprised me. Diane, who's a scientist and an economist, knows that this was predicted. So what Mr. Rogers said is, always look for the helpers. Always look for the helpers because there's always helpers. And what's so beautiful about this community is there's been two parts, writing the book and now building the movement. The book is a moment, but you listening to this can be part of the movement and you're going to have the tools to talk about carbon in a richer, deeper, easier way, thanks to all the work that's come. So we did this practice, a practice of gratitude. In the first half of the project, it was called Way to Go Wednesdays. In the second half, it's called Thank You Thursdays. We pause as a community every week. So, I mean, my big role is to put people aligned with tasks, but many people help with that. But now my role is, hey, let's make people in this community feel seen, heard, valued, and understood. So every week I pause to highlight an individual or individuals, their character and their contributions. And then if you've been named, you name others. So each week we have this beautiful moment of people thanking each other for the great work that they've done and who they are. I love those days. And what's shifted in me, what surprised me is koalas are now extinct or at risk of extinction in Australia, right? These animals are or our little, or like fierce teddy bears. Like, you know, they're, we're going to lose them if we don't get our act together. Well, instead of feeling despair now, I feel hope because I've seen these beautiful, smart, generous, kind people every week doing work that matters for people who care. Yay! I've got the good, good juice. It's soul food. We're going to be okay because we're all here. I want to continue on this theme of community culture by highlighting (laughs) each of you that are here on the podcast with me now, including you, Jennifer. I think you all are archetypes for what's represented in the community. Louise is the cheerleader and not just a cheerleader, but I mean, I've 
I stand in awe of how you're able to, of course, you're the wordsmith queen, but you use that power to really do exactly what you said, make people feel seen, heard, appreciated, and it's contagious. And you're intentional with how you call people out. And it's just, it's just been so beautiful. And so if I've brought any positive, I guess, community culture, what should I say, prototype to the community, it's because I'm following Louise. So that's one. Then you have people in the community like Diane. So Diane did something that she doesn't know what she did. I'm in the community helping to bring people together, but I'm also seeing all these brilliant people contribute to the writing of the almanac. And so I said, well, let me try my hand. I don't really have time. I don't really have the the mental capacity to like research and put things together. It takes me a long time to do those things. But I saw this clip from Obama at a climate summit. And I said, hey, these are some things that stand out to me. I don't know if it's anything, but I'm putting it out in the ether if anybody sees any value in this. And Diane said, hey, Eva, thanks for raising your hand. Would you be interested in writing up something? I wasn't, I didn't sign up for that, <laughs> but I I can't say no because everybody else is contributing and because I initiated this thing. So I was like, sure. Now, I then proceeded to avoid Diane because I couldn't wrap my head around how should I present it? What should I do? And so she gave me a little nudge. Hey, Eva, just let me know when this thing is ready. So I was like, okay. And then as time was going, hey, Eva, you still working on this thing? And so I was like, you know what, Diane, let me just tell you. At this point, I had put hours into trying to get it right and had no clue what I was doing. So I said, Diane, really, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's what I have. And I gave her some points and she said, this is great. And I was like, what? And she said, I'm trying to wrap my head around. She was just so gracious, right? With being me being late and feeling so horrible. And she was like, don't even worry about it. We're all doing this thing together. And she said, this is a great contribution. I'm not sure how to say this part. And we tagged Seth and Seth just brought it all together. And neither of them were feeling the angst that I was feeling. They were just grateful for my contribution. And so that is another example, I think, of what we see in the community all the time. There's no judgment. Now, when I see people saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I couldn't make the meeting, or am I late to the conversation? It's like, listen, we're just happy you're here because that's the nurturing that I got. And I'm just so grateful. And I saw that in action. And then there are people like you, Jennifer. And I mean, we're, we all contribute. But there's some of us that are on another level. (laughs) When I saw that the idea of, hey, a podcast, I thought, oh, one podcast, a podcast, that's great. But then it was like two podcasts, then four podcasts. I'm like, what? And then you're actually getting it done and you're coordinating people and you're giving feedback and we need show notes. We need voiceovers. We need this. We need that. And I am, again, in awe. Seeing the level of dedication, commitment, focus, output. So again, Jennifer, definitely the archetype, but you are not the only one either. And so again, Diane is like that. And so if I put a little gif here or there that makes people smile, great. But (laughs) 
I, I feel like I can't put myself on the level with you guys that are really doing the heavy lifting. It's just so inspiring to watch. But that's the gift is like none of us are going to ever feel good enough or that we're doing enough or that yeah. we're the heavy lifters. I mean, there, there were some. But the thing is, is that many hands make light work. It's the Maasai proverb. We can go fast on our own, but farther together. So I don't see you as not being a heavy lifter, right? The project would not have happened if everybody hadn't done something. And I think that's the moral of the almanac. Again, back to this essence, the sense of its essence of its DNA, which is in its creation, we all had our roles. And when I look at what you two did, to me, that's the heavy lift. You wouldn't want me to be the organizer of, of the community or the culture. Seriously, that would be such a stretch for me. But I did what's in my strong suite and you did what's in yours. And then the designers and the editors, I mean, to my bewilderment, there are people out there who actually like to line edit. Go figure. And they did. And they did it again and again and again. And so one of the things that truly inspired me and creates awe is that people naturally fell into roles and they just excelled. And the kindness of our interaction, cross professions, cross cross time zones, cross culture, mm -hmm. seemed to occur from an almost invisible pull that this project was going to happen. And we all just showed up and did what we could. And everyone understood that we had boundaries and limits. And it looked like many people were doing super heavy lifts. But when I checked in with them, at least in, in the crew I worked with, it was like, no, I'm just doing what I can. And, and I think if we could carry forward that almost as a fractal, it was our approach to handling the crisis, which is climate change, it then basically climate change doesn't have a chance, right? If we all could apply at the next level up, the next scale up, that approach of everyone does, shows up and does what's in their sweet spot with that level of goodwill, then sufficient change is inevitable. So I think in its own creation, it set out a model of how to defeat climate change. That's true. And I think the connections that we made within the Almanac have been really important all of the connections that we've made within. But now that we're working on connecting to organizations and individuals and influencers in the outside world, are there any of those connections that you're particularly excited about? Greta was a good one. She's a good one. I, I think, you know, there are people like the, again, influencers. They're, they're called influencers for a reason, right? I just think... It's like a snowball, right? So I can't say that there's one person besides Greta. She would be huge, but, or she will be speaking it into existence. I can't say there's one person, but I know as one influencer gets on board, then it's like a ripple effect snowball. So I'm just looking forward to that snowball. I'm looking forward to the everyday executive. So the person who, um, has a mandate to 
oversee a million, two million, three million and spend through supply chain or has the marketing budget or is in charge of, of innovation and discovery to provide the facts in such a digestible way, I think is a really powerful tool. And it's like the narrow end of the wedge. You can just slip it in there and the change will be the wide edge of the wedge. And I think it's in the unsexy corridors of many corporations where this book will be really powerful. And that's what I'm, ex- uh, that's what I'm super excited about. Oh, there's that Margaret Mead quote. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So I'm excited about this vision of church ladies with their book club and neighborhood moms with their book club and teachers with their book club and executives with their book club and Google with their book club and just all these people who can come together together and discuss their ahas as they read a book that brings them one insight, then another insight. The book doesn't say, this is what thou shalt do, but it it starts a conversation that's going to change things. And we're going to know in a couple of years if this book has started to create a ROI, a ripple of influence. That's an Annette Mason expression. What I'm excited about is seeing the kids' book, the educators' resource, the corporate sponsorships, how many of these books are going to land, thunk, on the tables of people who feel uncomfortable talking about carbon and hesitant. And this book is going to diffuse a hesitancy infuse the urgency, and create the ahas that lead to action. Mm -hmm. And Diane, if you had the opportunity to be in all of these book clubs and meeting with all of these executive book clubs and and church lady book clubs, what would be the first thing that you would want to tell them? What do you think that everybody needs to know about what issues we're facing here? It's truly in our hands as individuals. And as citizens, we show up in many different ways. We vote for elected leaders. We can show up in our townships and our cities at our state or district level at, at, at the nation state level and vote. We can write to politicians and support inter- inter- intergovernmental actions. We can join associations and nonprofits and use our time and our and our financial resources to support their action. And most importantly, and we can also work at the faith level, any kind of organization, but we can also act as individuals. And I think that's a real power of the information and the other bits coming out of the Almanac, uh, the Carbon Almanac Network, is a whole list of actions that individuals can take. The one that I'm super obsessed with is what we purchase, you know, how we use the power of our wallet to make decisions. But regardless of what it is, everybody can do something and indeed needs to do something. And that's, that would be my, that is my core message. Dan, you've got an upcoming book on this and you've also got a PDF that we can put in the show notes so that people can uh, make 
wise purchase decisions. Want to highlight that because your generosity is um, in multiple formats. I'm writing a book called Your Shopping Superpower, Be Happier and Better Your World One Purchase at a Time. And at the moment, there's a free ebook available, which we'll provide in the show notes. And it's all about how you have the power in your wallet every time you make a purchase to choose products that align with your values, including reducing the risk of climate change. This is a topic that I'm really passionate about as well. And when I am following kind of the climate influencers, let's call them the Gen Z climate influencers on TikTok or wherever they land, and I'm seeing how this conscious consumerism or how people's buying habits are shifting and how zero waste and low waste are becoming trends, it gets me really excited because I feel like the youth are really becoming mobilized. And part of this project is also we have an educator's guide and we have a lot of resources for kids and all of that gets me really excited. Whereas before, like as a mom, I've been really concerned for the future that I'm leaving for my child. This project specifically has really given me that sense of hope. And I was just wondering how all of you feel about the children, the adults of the future. What are we leaving for them? Well, I am actually really excited about that guide for children. First of all, it's beautiful. I like what I've seen. It's just amazing. (laughs) And kids are the ones like they latch on to the lessons really quickly and are really good at keeping adults accountable. So I am looking forward to hopefully really inspired and enthusiastic teachers to bring this to their classrooms and make it in, into projects and have full agendas and curriculums around this. Because then I think in, in 10 years, in the future, we absolutely will see a change. So I'm really excited for, for that. The next generation is going to need a level of resilience and community This is a movement that's been amplified by youth. The kids' guide is gorgeous. And I just go back to that dream that I had yesterday morning as I was, you know, to wake up with a dream of passing a flower from myself to the next generation, the plant, the planet. Like that was really, really reassuring. And as we look globally at the zeitgeist, the anxiety, the conflict, the depression, the loneliness, the isolation, the obesity. The solution to a lot of this is going outside with friends, having a picnic under a tree, plant a tree. That's good for carbon sequestering. That's good for your soul. That's good for building and deepening friendships. The antidote is exactly what we're doing here now. If you're feeling disconnected or feeling despair, We can turn those two Ds into Cs. We can get you connected and we can give you community, beautiful, to feel like even in a tiny way that you can help make a difference that you were born to make. This is soul work. This is sacred work. This is where science becomes exactly what our ancestors are hoping we would do, that we would be the turnaround generation. 
Diane, what do you think about the next generation and their relationship with the planet, really? I look at it um, a bit bit clinically. I mean, I look at the data and the shopping Mm -hmm. patterns are very different, which is very powerful because most brands want access to their spend. And the clearer and more consistent that generation is, or actually those couple of the generations are, that is the quickest way to change corporate behavior. And so that's, that's very reassuring for me. I also have a really strong emotional reaction when we talk about the next generation and how excited we are that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. And that's is I don't want them to let us off the hook and I don't want us to let ourselves off the hook. Our generation has the opportunity to continue to provide leadership in a collaborative, multi-generational way that's cross-cultural and sensitive and, and in a way embody that which is we've experienced in the production of this Carbon Almanac and the Carbon Almanac Network with those qualities. And so it's, it's not so much just saying, oh, well, they've got it. It's we're going to continue to do our good work and learn and share and be open and co-lead with them, but certainly not step away. And is there anything else that you're taking away from this experience? My biggest takeaway, and I think large takeaways are often a little painful to learn, Mm -hmm. was that it's not in the hands of the experts. So this is a fact-based publication. And it was fact-checked within an inch of its life. It is completely robust. And for the most part, it was written by people who are passionate, who love to write, but probably don't have PhDs in climate change or environmental economics like I do. I think I was the total anomaly. And that to me was revolutionary. And remain so. And I think it also is an important paradigm for the next 20 years, which is individuals, citizens coming together over what to resolve what was once considered a topic in the realm of the experts. I'm thinking about the next 20 years a lot lately, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with the work that I've been taking on here. Eva, is there anything else that you're taking specifically away from this experience that is changing how you see the world? Again, I think what comes up for me actually is community. So change happens in community, but we each play that role, right? We each play a role in community. So I feel like I should be more profound in how I say that, but that's all I, that's all I got. Just the development of the book is a testament to what we can do as a society. Warner von Braun, I think he was a German scientist. When Kennedy asked him what it would take to put a man on the moon, he said the will to do it. And that's where we are right now when it comes to climate. The will as a society, as a community, or those of us who care if we have the will to do it, we can 
slow it down, maybe even reverse some things. And it's an ongoing process. It, it speaks to lifestyle, right? It's not just, uh, oh, let's turn off all the lights when we're not in the room and everything will be fixed. We're talking mindset change, heart set change, lifestyle change. If you're listening, we need you. If you hung on to the very end, you're our people. Let us welcome you. You are the leaders we've been waiting for. Let's go. You've been listening to the Carbon Almanac Collective. This podcast is part of the Carbon Almanac Podcast Network. For more information, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Subscribe and join us next time to get more insights from regular people mobilizing to help the world fight the climate emergency.